Welcome to week three of the Verified Series podcast, where we dive deeper into the content from Sunday's message. This week, we have Mark Nelson joining us once again. Thanks for coming back, Mark. It's good to be back. My name's Courtney, and this is the Verified Series podcast. Well, Mark, on Sunday morning, you opened your message by saying you were a kid of the 80s. Yes. (laughs) Me too. I would love to know, and I, I think the world would love to know, what was your favorite 80s video game? Oh, my word. How much time do we have? Just I mean, a few minutes. <laughs> like, is there literally anything that came out in the 80s that wasn't just plain rad or gnarly? I mean, come on. Well said. <laughs> so, like, 80s video games, now you're really you're really asking me about the right, right thing. Because for me, you would have caught me playing on my Atari 2600, uh, some Air Sea Battle, some Pac-Man, or some Pitfall, especially Pitfall. That was like an 8-bit you know, Adventure Wonderland, that game. But later on, it was Nintendo, the original NES, Duck Hunt, Contra, playing co-op with my friends. I mean, man, nothing better. I am hearing some uh, some serious quality graphics there. Oh, yeah, sure. man, 8-bit. Sure. I was a Frogger fan myself. Um, I'd also love to know, real quick before we jump in, just one quick bad fashion trend that you embraced in the 80s. Oh, man, fashion. There was a lot of great fashion trends in the 80s. Um, I uh, Acid-washed jeans were Amazing. Um, probably my my Levi's jean jacket, pop the collar, you're good to go. Oh, yeah. That's always the question, to pop the collar or not. Definitely. All right. Well, speaking of questions, let's jump right in here. Um, you had said that true believers are certain of their place in God's family. Hmm. So does that, mean, does that mean that a new believer never struggles with doubt about whether God really loves them or about their salvation? <laughs> yeah, I wish. No, that that's not what it means at all. Um, to doubt God's love for you or to question whether you're really saved is actually a very common Christian experience. And it's common for all the reasons John tells us it is because, you know, again, he says our hearts um, or our consciences, they're built to respond to sin. They're designed to cause that feeling of guilt that we all know so well. Uh, In fact, you know, even those who aren't followers of Jesus have this gift of a conscience. And the issue is that our consciences well, they're like everything else God designed. They work really well, and they continue to work really well even after we've put our faith in Jesus, which is generally a good thing because we get to benefit from the continued you know, general sense of right and wrong. But the problem is that that guilty feeling as Christians that can fool us into believing that we're condemned by God and rejected by him when that's simply not true. So for a Christian to be certain of their place in God's family means that we are regarding the truth of the gospel, of what God has declared to be true of us, that we have full acceptance, no condemnation, that we regard that truth as greater than how we might be feeling as a result of a sinful choice we've made because our hearts or our consciences are condemning us in the moment. So they're different. Can you talk a little bit about how the conscience is different from the Holy Spirit? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, the, the cool thing is that this this gift of the Spirit as believers that we've been given upon placing our faith in Christ, you could think of it as a better gift than the conscience that we're born with. So, so both the conscience and the Spirit, they're both good gifts from God. But the Spirit is a better gift given only to believers. And the reason it's better than the conscience is because our conscience, that becomes desensitized over time as as it gets more and more exposure to sin. Uh, 
So things, for example, that used to bother us no longer do. Uh, at one time, we were embarrassed because we let a foul word slip out, and now we, you know, we curse like a sailor and don't even think twice about it. No offense to any sailors out there, <laughs> but the spirit of God within us. The beautiful thing is, He never gets desensitized. So when the spirit of God does its work in our lives, that keeps us highly aware of how God feels about a particular behavior or attitude. And that's when we're experiencing his conviction. So what would you say happens if we choose to ignore that conviction? Well, uh, are we thinking here about you know ignoring the conviction of the Holy Spirit or ignoring the warning of the conscience? I think it's important that we make a distinction here. If we ignore the conscience, then we'll damage and deaden it. You could think of our conscience maybe as like the the skin on the back of your hand. And if you were to, you know, choose to run your, you know, your hand, the back of your hand across some rough concrete for a while, well, you're going to quickly develop calluses and you're going to harden that skin. You're going to lessen the sensitivity of it. And the only way that you're going to undo that damage and restore sensitivity is to stop doing that. Stop stop rubbing that that hand across that rough concrete. The conscience is kind of like that that skin, that sensitivity of skin. If you choose to keep exposing yourself to something that you shouldn't, like pornography, for example, your conscience will become more and more deadened. And you'll find yourself having to go to deeper and deeper levels before feeling any conviction over that over that sin. So the only way to restore the sensitivity of your conscience is to stop doing that, to stop exposing yourself to that wrong behavior. And thankfully, over time, that sensitivity to what's wrong can be restored. Now, the spirit, on the other hand, isn't like that. If a person truly does have the spirit of God living within them, they will sense conviction in addition to the guilt of their conscience. And they won't be able to ignore it for very long because the spirit of God and sin are like oil and water. God can't abide with sin. And so that's why John is saying that a person who continues to sin without any remorse, without any conviction of heart, that person is essentially is revealing that they aren't truly God's child at all. You talked about believers who aren't sure that they have the spirit at all times, or maybe to the fullest extent, uh, that these believers potentially might experience some instability in their Christian experience um, that's different from children God who are children of God who are certain that they have all of God's spirit as yeah. a gift. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah, definitely. I think Romans chapter 8 is an incredible passage about the experience of life in the spirit, um, of, of the spirit and the life of a believer. Uh, Paul describes that experience in verse 9 like this. He says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. Then he says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So, in other words, a Christian without the Spirit is actually not a Christian at all. I mean, that's what Paul says, right? He says, if you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to Christ. In fact, later in the chapter, um, Paul goes on to say that the Spirit we received, past tense, doesn't make us slaves to fear, but instead confirms our adoption as his children and testifies that we are God's children. So then it would stand to reason that those who are uncertain of the Spirit's full presence within them would also tend to be more uncertain of their place in God's family and generally more unstable in their Christian experience. Uh, they'd be far more dependent on, you know, instead that next spiritual high or that intense mountaintop experience of, of some kind to feel spiritually alive. 
I, I love how Tim Tim Tebow uh, of the New York Mets organization, I might add, uh, how he I love how he describes the experience of having stability in his relationship with God uh, during an interview that he he was doing about his book Shaken, and he said this. He said, "quote I'm so thankful because of my relationship with Jesus Christ and being adopted into the family of God that I don't have to live the highs and lows and the roller coaster that the rest of the world lives because I know where my identity lies." My identity lies as a child of God, and that's something that will never be shaken, unquote. And the reason that it can't be shaken is because you can't shake God's presence with you, his presence in you. Well, so if that's true, then as a believer, I have the full amount of the Holy Spirit dwelling within me at all the, all the time. Um, so then there wouldn't need to be moments like in worship or prayer where we invite the Holy Spirit to come and be with us because he's already here fully now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. And you know, I think that it's it's very popular, um, even in in some of the worship songs that are that are highly popular. You know, that almost seem to miss this idea that that there is this sense that we need to go out and find it. You know, elsewhere that we need a fresh revelation of the Holy Spirit or a fresh you know sort of filling of the Holy Spirit, and, and to miss the reality that we we fully have indwelling within us the Spirit of God. We don't need a, a higher you know greater dose of it or something like that. Uh, you know, and I think there's a myth, um, uh, you know, even in Christianity that, that those who are seeking sort of, you know, fresh manifestations of the Spirit are kind of more dedicated to the third person of the Trinity, that they're, they're really about the Spirit, whereas Christians that, that aren't really seeking those manifestations, they, they're kind of missing it. Well, I think actually just the opposite is true, that, that we don't honor God by continuously looking elsewhere for a gift He's already told us He gave us. That, you know, that isn't giving the Spirit a, a higher priority, but instead it's, in a sense, neglecting this every moment nature of His presence within us. Well, so then are spiritually significant moments bad? Oh, no. Yeah, that's a great question. They're not bad at all. No, I don't think they're bad. They can be great as long as we aren't depending on them to spiritually sustain us or to discover some level of spiritual life that we don't already possess. And instead, if we use them to you know, remind ourselves and to celebrate the truth of the gospel and express our gratitude and praise for the love that God has for us, I think spiritually significant moments can be really important. The truth is, though, that, that spiritually significant moments aren't enough to sustain us but God's presence within us most certainly is. Wow, I, I know that's that's been true of me sometimes where I've counted on those spiritually significant moments uh, rather than just focusing truly on God's presence that's already within me and and uh, sustaining me. Uh, so, so switching gears, you said that once we become God's child, we are always his child. Does this mean that a follower of Jesus can never lose their salvation? Uh, yeah, that's that's exactly what that means. In fact, in this very chapter, 1 John chapter 3, John describes becoming a Christian as having passed from death to life. That's an eternal transaction. There's no going back. There's no going from having God's life back to death. And I think we're often tempted, you know, either because we ourselves feel condemned before God or because we're, you know, looking to kind of make sense of what we what we see going on in another person's life who who claims or at one point claimed to follow Jesus. And so we're tempted to think that potentially we can, you know, move sort of in and out of this secure relationship with God. But I think we give ourselves far too much credit if we believe that our actions, either good or bad, can determine our eternity. 
So if our security and our salvation isn't based on our actions, it's based on what? Yeah, uh, this place in God's family is based, you know, not on our actions, not on our works, but on God's grace poured out on us when we first believed in Christ. When we are given what John calls in that moment, you know, he calls it in chapter three of his gospel, we're given eternal life. When when we believe, whoever believes in him has eternal life. And, and if eternal life can never be lost, then it was never actually eternal in the first place. This actually ties directly into the earlier question about the importance of understanding the Spirit's permanent indwelling in our lives. In Ephesians 1, Paul says that the very moment we believed, we were marked in Christ with a seal, which is his Holy Spirit, who he calls a, a guarantee, a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Or another way to say it is, we're guaranteed to be his right to the very end. Well, you, you talked about a difference between someone displaying life and lifelessness, and you asked us to reflect on what our life might look like if we have real spiritual life within us. And obviously, we all have different personalities, different temperaments. Um, could you give us some practical examples of what it might look like for someone to show signs of real spiritual life as opposed to lifelessness? Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, it's going to show up everywhere, and it won't take long before the truth comes out. So so like Aaron uh, talked about last week, we're going to have these internal natural desires that spring up for sinful pleasure, possessions, and position. It's something we're all going to deal with in various forms. The difference is that for the child of God, we are empowered within by the Spirit who produces a better desire to experience all those things in a way that brings glory to God. So here's the thing. It's not that any of those things are inherently wrong, pleasure, possessions, or position. There's, there's a way that each of them can be rightly experienced, right? I can, I can rightly enjoy the pleasures God provides in the right way and at the right time. I can rightly interact with possessions and thank God for his good gifts. And I can appreciate having a level of position in a way that's humble and helpful and in a way that ultimately uh, embraces my position as his child. The problem is that our sinful nature takes those rightful desires and distorts them. So then for a Christian, this spiritual life within us, the Spirit of God within us, doesn't allow us to remain comfortable with relishing sin. I use the example on Sunday of language, but this really applies to any, any variety of, of ways that we, you know, that we miss the mark, that we sin. But when we say something that's not appropriate or when we use our words in a, in a sinful way, then you know, the, the, the deal is that because of the Spirit's presence within me, I'll feel convicted, remorseful, sorrowful that I used his name carelessly or that I speak in unhelpful ways, not considering how it might impact those around me, you know, as Paul challenges us to make sure that what we say is beneficial to those who hear it. So I won't just have an attitude that says, I can do whatever I want. I have Christian liberty. Well, (laughs) Christian liberty is great, and we have a lot of it, but we should never view it as a license to do what God clearly tells us to avoid. And thankfully, the Spirit of God within us, if we're truly His children, it won't produce a desire to do that. And that's kind of the point. We hope you learned something new today. And if anything we discussed sparked a question, we'd love to hear from you. There's a link in the show notes where you can submit your questions. And if you missed this week's message or would like to learn more, head to NorthridgeRochester.com. Join us next week when we sit down with Nate Miller for our next episode. My name's Courtney, and thanks for listening to the Verified Series Podcast.